0: You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop.
1: For the month of November, we've been talking about grace. And the more we study it, the more we look at it, we think, you know what? We can't cover this in a month. But for this year, that's what we're doing. One month, we're looking at the topic of grace. It is amazing. Uh, we know the words to the song. And it really is uh, a topic that describes Christianity as a whole. It's grace. And what separates Christianity from every other religion. It's summarized in one word. It's been done by our Lord. And other religions, it's all about do. And I'm so glad that uh, I found the Lord. I'm so glad that I found Jesus. Like one comedian said, he said, "I'm so glad I found Christianity. It was the only religion that would take me." And uh, I can kind of relate to that. I, you know, I I couldn't perform all those other things, but I found Christ, and through Him, I found this amazing strength. It's so sweet. It really is. We're going to talk more about it today. Here's a little video just to kick things off that describes and kind of puts it in a nutshell again through a story form what grace is. Let's watch this and then we'll get into the message.
0: So I got a letter from my homeowners association about some violations and it got me thinking. I think I treat God like he's the head of the HOA. Follow me with this. HOAs have a bunch of rules. If you play by the rules, everything's great. But one little slip up. Here come the violation letters. I got a trash bag in my tree. Need to weed my plants. I gotta put my address on my mailbox. My fence wasn't approved. I'm always walking on eggshells worrying that I might do something wrong or get fined. But God doesn't work this way. He's not sitting on his throne waiting for me to mess up. Mm -mm. Grace and mercy are his style. You know, grace, unmerited favor, like I basically can do nothing to deserve it. God loves me unconditionally. There's no strings attached. God loves me even though I've got a bag in my tree, even though I need to weed my plants. He is so patient with me. Through His love, He nudges me on and encourages me to work on these things. So, no violation letters, just God's unending grace. Who is God to you? Is He a rule maker or is He a grace giver? You decide.
1: That's that's a great question. Who is God to you? Is he a rule maker or is he a grace giver? For the most part, the world thinks of God as as a rule maker. He makes all these rules and I have to follow these rules. I follow all the rules and I'll be in favor with God and things will go well for me and things will go well with God and me. But really, God extends his favor first towards us. this one kind of caught my attention because in the building that we live in, we have a strata council, and uh, when we had to move into our apartment, we had to renovate it, and uh, you know, we, we, we—they didn't give us a letter. They actually wanted to sit down and talk to us about all the things, all the different things that we apparently. Did that were outside of the boundaries and we we didn't know all the boundaries and and it was uh, it was kind of embarrassing having to sit down and make amends and and I'm so glad that God isn't like the person in charge of the strata council. I'm so glad that God is a very gracious loving forgiving God and this morning we're gonna talk more about grace talking about grace under pressure uh, because grace really becomes visible in our lives when the pressure of life hits us, and we have the opportunity to extend the kindness to others who don't deserve it. First of all, grace was extended towards you, and when grace impacts you, we find out that we want to live that way and treat others with the same grace that's been extended to us. We live in a world where every one of us could have a little more slack cut our way, and God cut a lot of slack for us when he accepted us. And so this morning we'll talk a little more about that. Charles Stanley, he's a great preacher, tells a story when he went to, to school and he was taking this exam in his, his training and he walked into class and the teacher handed this exam to them and they, all the students got the exam and as they began to read through the exam, they began to groan. And what had happened was when they came in, the teacher said this, please, before you start the exam, read all the way through before you begin the examination. He gave them an oral instruction and then... On the exam itself was, please read through the entire exam before starting the exam. And so he said, we got into the exam, we started writing the exam. And he said, you could hear throughout the lecture hall, people groaning. He's like, oh, this is so hard, this test. They were, and even as they were writing it, people were getting upset. And then they came to the last line. And the last line of the exam was this. You have a choice. You can either complete this exam or simply sign off on the exam and you'll get an A. Now, what had happened is that most of them didn't read through the exam. They just said, okay, well, whatever. I'm just going to start this and get it over with. And they began to write it. So he went back to the professor. He said, you know, that was an amazing example of grace that you gave us. But what has been the reaction of students that have taken the exam? He said, well, most people don't read it. They just start into it, and they go, man, this is so hard. This is so tough. And a lot of them, they'll get halfway through the exam, and they just get frustrated, and they don't finish the exam, and they leave very upset because they can't do the exam. And then others, they'll say, no, I'm going to do this exam, and they'll do it all the way through, and, uh, and they'll, then at the end, they go, oh, man, had I only known, I wish I would have read it to begin with. He said, some actually do read the whole exam and they get down that bottom line and it says, you know what? You don't have to do the exam. Just sign off and you'll get an A. He said, interestingly enough, some students say, no, I want to earn this. I I don't want a free A. I'm going to write this. I studied for it. I work for it. And I'm going to write the exam. He said, they get about a C because the exam is very hard when they could have had an A. He said, but there are some. Who actually follow the instructions, read the whole way through, and discover the plan, sign off, and get an A. And, you know, he went on to say, that's kind of what the world's like today. God extends this amazing offer to us, but we get into it and think, oh, this is so hard, so difficult. We don't really read and understand the whole thing and accept the free gift. And some of us, when we see it, it can't be. I can't, it can't be. I must have to do something to receive the A. So, I don't know if it breaks down and it's perfectly theologically pure, but you get the idea that God extends a free gift to us with grace. Today, we're talking about grace under pressure. If you have your uh, notes there, the first point is that grace is God's kindness and favor extended to us when we don't deserve it. I know that's a review. I know we've made that point, but we're really trying to hammer it home during the month of November that grace is more than just a prayer we say before a meal. It's more than just somebody who moves smoothly. Grace is God's favor that He extends towards us that we don't deserve. Now, we're going to go to Luke chapter 18 in our scriptures this morning. So, if you have your Bible, go to Luke 18, then we're going to get to Luke 19. Luke 18 is the story of the rich young ruler. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. It says there was a certain ruler and he asked him, he said, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We know from Mark's account that this is a rich young ruler. So in today's world, this guy is an executive. He's a CEO of a company, another translation says he was very influential. So he's a mover and shaker in town. All right. He's driving a BMW 700 series or brand new Audi and he's dressed sharp. And this guy is, he's got a membership at the Vancouver club. He's got a membership at the terminal club. He has got, he's at all the Canucks game. He's got his own box at the Canucks. Okay. You got the picture. This guy is a mover and a shaker and he, and he's a good living guy. He's, he's doing his very best to, to keep all the rules, do things right. And, uh, he hears about Jesus' this amazing communicator. He is got. Thousands of people are following him. When he has a, a meeting, even out on the hillside, literally thousands of people show up for him. He heard about him feeding not just 5,000, 10, 15,000 people with a miracle. And this guy who's used to being around influential people, he's used to buying lunch. He's used to being with all the movers and shakers. He wants to be with Jesus. And so he shows up and he meets Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's the right question. But he's kind of surprised, I think, at the answer that Jesus would give. Now, we would think, what would Jesus say to that? You would think Jesus would say, well, if you believe on me, you'll be saved. And you'll have eternal life. But Jesus doesn't answer him that way. Matter of fact, it's kind of surprising the way Jesus does answer him. But if you listen carefully to the way he worded his question, you'll understand the way Jesus answered him. Jesus is very good at unmasking our issues. He, he knows our heart, and he's very good at just getting to the heart of our matter. And he does this with this rich young executive. The guy asks him, verse 18, he says, "Good teacher, what shall I do?" to inherit eternal life. The I do is your clue because he thought it was all about doing. He said, I know the commandments and guess what? I have kept them all since I was a child. Do you smell just a hint of pride in that? I've kept them all since I was a child. What shall I do? He's, he's very skilled, very disciplined. And he says, what shall I do? Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, Accept what I'm going to do for you and you'll have eternal life. He says, no, matter of fact, uh, uh, he says in verse number 19, why do you call me good? No one is good, but the one that is God. In other words, he's saying you're, you're calling me good, but are you calling me God? Am I God to you? Then he goes on to say, you know, the commandments, because you've said you've kept them all. So, you know, the commandments don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. Jesus heard these things. He said, well, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And it says here that uh, He was, when he heard this, he was sad because he was very rich and he went on his way. We don't hear about this guy again. So why did Jesus talk to him about the commandments? Because the guy was wanting to live by the law. And Jesus was saying, if you want to live by the law, I will show you that you cannot keep all the law. This one thing you lack. The law, remember, is a mirror. It shows our deficiencies. It shows us where we've missed it. And he said, this one thing you lack If you are going to follow the commandments, one of the commandments is thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's one of the commandments. So let's test it. If you follow the commandments, let's see if money is your God or not. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And let's do an acid test on that commandment. And as a result, he walks away. So the Lord's showing us here that if you want to live by the law, if that's the way you want to live, then you'll be measured by the law. I'm so glad that we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Now, it's not by accident. In the next chapter, we have another very rich person. Luke 18, very rich young executive. Luke 19, another very rich person. But Jesus reacts to him very differently than he did to the guy who had the pride. Because, as we hear from James, and also Peter uses the same verse, he said, God is opposed or resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He he challenged the rich young ruler with his pride. But with this next guy, he extends amazing grace. So go to Luke chapter 19, and we pick up the story of Zacchaeus. And he offers him kindness and favor. What's happened after this... Rich young ruler. Jesus heads to Jericho. He goes into Jericho. Jericho is known for its palm trees. It's an oasis there in that Palestinian countryside. And as he comes into Jericho, the first thing he runs into is a guy by the name of blind Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus wants to be healed. And he cries out. There's a great crowd following Jesus. We don't know how many people. But enough that they're calling it a crowd. And in amongst the crowd, Bartimaeus says, Lord, have mercy upon me and heal me. He won't be quiet. And Bartimaeus is healed. Jesus walking through Jericho. Great crowds following him. And as he walks through Jericho, there's a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. Okay, so... He's in charge of all the other tax collectors. They hated tax collectors. They hated them because they're not like our tax collectors. These guys were very, very crooked. What they would do is skim off the top. He's the chief dude. So he skimmed off of everybody else. He became very rich by doing it. That's why they hated the tax collectors. There's no way that a religious teacher would go to a tax collector's house. That was just off limits. But here he goes, he's going through town, and he comes up to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a small guy. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to know what the fuss is about. He's a powerful man himself. He's got a nice house. He's got servants, and he's probably, he's not driving a BMW 700 Audi. He's probably driving a Bentley or Rolls Royce, okay? So this guy, he's loaded. Some of his money's come to him because he's been crooked, but he says, I want to see Jesus. So he gets ahead of them. He gets up into a tree. And he's looking, and there he sees Jesus coming with this crowd. He wants to catch a glimpse of this celebrity, quote-unquote everybody's interested in Jesus. Who is this guy? So he's up in the tree and he's watching. And just picture this in your mind. Here's Jesus walking along. Bartimaeus has been healed. The crowd is so excited. Yay, what a miracle. The guy was blind. He can see the whole town is buzzing. The paparazzi is there. The news camera is there. Video, everything is centered around this event. It's huge in Jericho. And as they're walking along, Jesus stops at this tree and he looks up and we pick up the story. Luke chapter 19 and in verse number five, Jesus came to the place. He looked up. He saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste come down today. I must stay at your home today. I want to be your guest. You know what this is? Grace undeserved favor. He's the celebrity, okay? That would, that's, that would be the optics if you're in the crowd. He would be the celebrity. He's the movie star. He's, he's the religious hero of the day. Everybody knows and talks about him. Everybody would have liked Jesus to come to their house. Everybody would have had, had a meal with him. He was so well known. He's the one that just had healed Bartimaeus. The town was buzzing. Zacchaeus is in a tree. He doesn't feel he even deserves to be with the crowd. He's up there watching from a distance. And Jesus stops and he says, Zacchaeus. Now, we can read that but we can miss something. He doesn't say, hey, you up in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus. He knows his name. He knows your name. Grace is very warm, very endearing. It calls you by your name, and it welcomes you. Zacchaeus, got a lot of people around me today. Everybody like to go for lunch. I've had all kinds of offers. I got an offer to go down to Joe Forte's. I got an offer to go down to Simpsons. I got an offer to go down to Joey Tomatoes. I got an offer to go down to the keg. I even got an offer to go to Tim Hortons. I've turned all those offers down. Zacchaeus, I got to go to your place. Can I be a guest in your house? And Zacchaeus says, yeah. And it says he received them joyfully. He was so excited. See, grace has to be embraced. At that point, he could have said, you know what, Jesus, appreciate the offer. But uh, you know what, I'm not quite ready for you. There's a lot of things I'd like to do before I'd have you over to my place. Quite frankly, my life's a bit of a mess. You're a very strong religious leader, but you have to understand that I still smoke and I still chew and I still go go with girls that do. So you know what? I probably shouldn't have you over at my place right now. I think I should probably clean up my life a bit before I have you come over because uh, there's probably some stuff I'd even want to put away before you came over if you don't mind. But Zacchaeus doesn't say that. He just says, yeah, come on over. And so Jesus comes over to Zacchaeus' place. I don't know what the servant served up that day, but the meal's not even over. And Zacchaeus says, I got an announcement to make, Jesus. And the announcement comes that he wants to be generous, which will be our next point. Look at Romans 5, 17 before we go there. For if because one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely... Those who receive, if you like, circle the word receive, Zacchaeus received it, overflowing grace, unmerited favor, the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself. They'll reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. When you receive and embrace God's goodness, you don't deserve it, but you receive it, you reign in this life. When he starts to give way to the poor and help others, that man's reigning. Money doesn't reign him like it did that other guy, that rich young ruler. Money ruled his life. Not this guy. He's going to reign in life. Money's a lousy master. Lousy master. So much better to reign money than money reign you. I like to be in that position than welcome God's grace. It will put you in a position of strength. And and power to live an abundant life. Okay, number two. When you experience grace, you can't help but be generous. The word you want to put in there is generous. It is the goodness of God that uh, leads us to repentance. It's the generosity of God that causes us to change. Let me give you another example, throw it in here. In in Luke chapter 5, the same book in Luke. Jesus is starting his ministry, and he, he's, he's out and about one day, and he begins to come to the Sea of Galilee. He's at the Sea of Galilee, and a whole crowd is there, and he begins to talk to them, and he's talking to them. More and more people show up, and he sees Peter over there. Peter's a fisherman. He's got a fishing boat. We've got fishermen in our community. Fishing boats cost a lot of money. That's your whole investment. And he says to Peter, Peter, you know, do you mind if I use your boat? I've got a big crowd here. And I'm, I'm just stepping in the sand here. I, could, I, could I speak from your boat? Peter says, yeah, go ahead, help yourself. So he steps into the boat, and he speaks to the crowd. And after the, we don't hear much about what he spoke on. The story's not about that. The story's about what happens next. And then the Lord says, you know what, Peter, let's go fishing. And he he says, oh, Jesus, you're a carpenter in all due respect. You know, we've we've been out fishing all night, and uh, we didn't catch anything. The fish come in at night, not during the day. But if you say go fishing, hey, I'll go fishing. And so they go fishing, gets out in his boat, they go fishing, and the Lord says, Put your net out into the deep. And you know, Peter's again thinking, Jesus, in all due respect, you're 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 a carpenter, I'm a fisherman. It's so much better to put it in the shallows where the fish are. And again, we're at the wrong time of day, but nevertheless, if you say, I'm gonna do it. So he throws his net out and they catch this amazing haul of fish. He is shocked. You talk about undeserved favor. They fished all night, fish weren't catching, and that day they catch so many fish. Peter's a businessman. You know what he's thinking? Go to the market, sell the fish. I just hit the lottery. This is a jackpot. I've never had such a day like this. This will take care of a month's expenses. He's excited. They've taken all the fish. You know what Peter's reaction is? Peter gets down that boat and he worships Jesus. And he said, oh, Jesus, depart from me. I'm not even worthy to be around you. Not like the rich young ruler. His actions are very different. When we encounter grace, it causes us to fall down in his presence and say, God, I'm not even worthy to be here. But you have blessed me. You have shown me your kindness that I don't deserve. That's what happened to Peter. And Zacchaeus, the same thing. He gets shown this amazing kindness because he's humble. He's honest before God. Look at... uh, Luke 19 verse 80. It's there in your notes. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, I will give half my wealth to the poor. I don't know how much he's worth. The guy's rich. All right. Let's say he's what's rich in today's world. A millionaire. There are dime a dozen today. Let's say he's, let's say he's, let's say he's got a, a billion dollars. He's a billionaire. He says, I will give 500 million to the poor. How many think that would make a difference in Jericho? You remember earlier, Jesus met blind Bartimaeus. He's poor. He's a beggar. Who's going to benefit from him? Blind Bartimaeus is going to benefit from his generosity. You see, when grace impacts our life, it doesn't just affect us. It affects the whole town. Everybody's affected by it because the two intersect. When Jesus comes to Vancouver and his grace touches our lives, it affects everybody. That's his design. It infects the entire city. It infected entire Jericho. The grace that touched Zacchaeus. Again, humble yourself. Grace is extended towards you. Have pride. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. God says, okay, here's the law. You're missing it in this area. You're missing that area. You you can't keep it all. You're better just to surrender and say, God, I know I can't. So I'll receive your grace. And out of that right standing, I will live for you here 's this verse we had it in every handout this month. I hope you 're not getting tired of it. I hope it's still, you still like it. Second Corinthians chapter nine verse eight it 's there in your notes let 's read out loud together. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnish in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Wow. God's grace comes to you in abundance. We receive it humbly. It comes with abundance and we have enough for our need. But do you get the rest of it? We're furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. When grace came to Zacchaeus' house, it caused him to want to do good works. He caused him to be charitable. Here's an interesting thing that we've just observed from life. People that think... I've got what I've got because I did this and I worked hard and I did this and I did this are usually very stingy because they're like the rich young ruler. I did this and I did this and I did this. So they're very stingy, They're very tight with their money. But people realize, whew, you know, why I have what I have because God's grace has touched my life. God's grace has touched my life. And when they realize God's grace touched their life, all of a sudden they become very generous. You know, it's interesting that Jesus didn't chase the rich young ruler. Yeah, wait a minute. Come back here. Come back here. We can make an adjustment. You are very wealthy. We have a plan for you. You know what? If you will just... He, he didn't massage them. Didn't chase them. He just said... He let him go. And we don't have to chase it. Because God's grace... Will touch people's hearts. Amen? All right. Number three, we got to move along here. Grace fosters a desire to do good. Matter of fact, grace will teach us. Luke 19, verse 8, the rest of the verse says, I have overcharged people on their taxes. I will give them back four times as much. Not only did he want to do good to the poor, he will also want to pay back the people that he had ripped off. He had overcharged, he was skimming, he was cheating. And grace touched his heart. He says, I gotta pay these people back. So if he took 10 grand from you, he says, I'm not gonna give you back your 10 grand, I'm giving you back 40 grand. I remember mean, there's some happy people in town that day. Zacchaeus knocked on the door. Oh, Zacchaeus, what did you want? My taxes? No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Jesus visited my house, and the guy who came through town, he He came to your house. Yeah, he came to my house. Just don't worry about it. Just let me talk to you for a bit. He really impacted my life and You know, I confess, I overcharged you last year in your taxes by ten grand. And out of my own pocket, that I'm 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 paying you forty grand back. How many of those some jaws were dropping in Jericho that day? What? What happened to what did you hear happen to Zacchaeus? I hope he visits me, because he overcharged me too. So it changed, it impacted their talent. What did Grace? Titus 2, verse 11, 12, it's there in your notes. For the grace of God, the grace of God, if you like circle that, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many men? All men, all of us. And what does it do? It teaches us. Grace is a teacher. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Right now, grace inspires us to live right. Why? Because it put us in right standing with God. There's a great example. Max Licato has got a book called In the Grip of Grace. He wrote a few years ago. And in this book, he he writes a little story, which was helpful to understand grace. Um, He said it here. Most of my life, I've been a closet slob. I was slow to see the logic of neatness. Why make up a bed if you're going to sleep in it again tonight? Does it make sense to wash dishes after only one meal? Isn't it easier to leave your clothes on the floor at the foot of your bed so they'll be there when you get up and put them on? Is, uh, is anything gained by putting the lid on the toothpaste tube tonight only to remove it again tomorrow? I was compulsive as anyone, only I was compulsive about being messy. Life was too short to match your socks just by longer pants. <laughs> he says, then I got married. Uh, Danelle was so patient. She said she didn't mind my habits. If I didn't mind sleeping outside since I did, I began to change. I enrolled in a 12 step program for slobs. My name is Max. I hate to vacuum. A physical therapist helped me to rediscover the muscles used for hanging shirts and placing toilet paper on the holder. My nose was reintroduced to the fragrance of pine saw. By the time time Danelle's parents came to visit, I was a new man. I could go three days without throwing a sock behind the couch. But then came the moment of truth. Danelle went out of town for a week. Initially, I reverted to the old man. I figured I'd be a slob for six days and clean up on the seventh. But something strange happened, a curious discomfort. I couldn't relax with dirty dishes in the sink. When I saw an empty potato chip sack on the floor, I... Hang over, uh, I used to hang my hat over. I bent over and picked it up. I actually put my bath towel back on the rack. What had happened to me? Simple. I was exposed to a higher standard. Isn't that what has happened with us? Isn't that the heart of Paul's argument? How could we, who've been freed from sin, return to it? Before Christ, our lives were out of control, sloppy and indulgent. We didn't even know we were slobs until we met him. Then he moved in. Christ moves into our heart. Things began to change. What we threw around, we began putting away. What we neglected, we cleaned up. What had been cluttered became order. Oh, there were still our occasional lapses of thought and deed, but by and large, he got our house in order. Suddenly, we find ourselves wanting to do good, go back to the old mess. Are you kidding? Paul said, in the past, you were slaves to sin. Sin controlled you, but thank God, you fully obeyed the things that you were taught. You were made free from sin, and now you're slaves to goodness. Can a discharged prisoner return to confinement? Yes. But let him remember the gray walls and the long nights. Can a slob, converted slob, once again be messy? Yes. But let him consider the difference between filth of yesterday and the purity of today. Can one who's been, been given a free gift not share the gift with others? I suppose... Let, uh, let him remember that all of life is a gift of grace. and Let him remember that the call of grace is to live a gracious life, for that's how grace works. Good illustration for grace. It fosters us to do good. Number three, uh, God asks for honesty, not perfection. Grace means it's safe to turn yourself in and be honest with God. Matter of fact, if we're not honest with God, Grace isn't extended towards us. It's a matter of being honest before him. That's why he said in John 4, 24, for God is spirit. So those who worship him, if you like, circle the word must. This is not an option. We must worship in spirit and in truth. Here's the deal. If you have secrets between you and God, obviously God knows it anyhow. But if you don't come to him with it, it builds a fence between you and God. You don't talk to God about it. You, you, you keep it on the, you don't bring it up. What it does is it drives you from God. But if you're honest with God, it builds a bridge. It builds communion with him. The same works in any relationship, but our relationship with God is the most important one. Catch us. Grace allows us to be honest with God. There's nothing that you've done that will cause God to love you less. There's nothing you can do to cause God to love you more. His love for you is unchanging. That's why it says, come boldly before the throne of grace. It doesn't say, come boldly before a throne of judgment. We wouldn't come boldly. We'd come like a dog, afraid we'd get whipped. But he says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because it's all right. He understands you're human. He understands you're finite. He knows that. And he says, you know what? I understand that. Come to my throne of grace that you can receive help in a time of need. But if we're like the rich young ruler, no, no, I want to do it myself, and I do it, I do it, we don't receive that grace. But if we humble ourselves, come to the throne, then we get his help to do what we need to do. Number four, grace is risky. There is a chance people will abuse grace. Paul had that issue. In Romans chapter 6, he talks about it. He said, some of you are misunderstanding me. You're thinking that because grace forgives our past sins, our present sins, and even our future sins, you think, well, then let's sin a lot because then grace will really be good. He says, you've missed the point. And so some people, I guess when God extends grace to us, there's a certain risk involved. But not only does he, it's, it's the trust factor. God is trusting us with Grace. When the student goes off to college and mom and dad give him a credit card and said, you know what, here's the credit card, use it for emergencies, that student can go out and he could, he could rack up a set of bills, he could spend it on a trip, he could spend it at the, at the restaurant, he could, he could totally exploit it. The reason the student doesn't do that is because, no, no, I don't want to exploit my trust with my father. And so even though I could, I don't. The card is grace extended towards him, but because of the trust factor I don't want to do that because there's a relationship behind it. So there's a certain risk that comes with grace. The law can show us what we did wrong, but it can't make us eager to do right. Grace makes us eager to do right. Look at Titus 2 verse 14. He gave himself, he gave himself for us to set us free from every sin and to cleanse us so that we can be his special people. Circle the last part of this verse. Enthusiastic about doing good things. When grace touches your life, you're like Zacchaeus. You're enthusiastic about doing the right thing. Not because you have to. You're enthusiastic. Number five, wrapping up with this, grace pardons us and then empowers us to live free from sin. Alistair Begg said this. I put the quote in your notes. As a result of grace, we've been saved from sin's penalty. One day we'll be saved from sin's presence. In the meantime, we're being saved from sin's power. This is Grace. It's at work in our life every day. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, awake to righteousness and don't sin. In Romans, he said, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. To Timothy, he said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. Grace is strength. And then we know in Second Corinthians, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Everything has become new. Let me ask you this morning, how many here besides me have had a traffic violation in your life? I see your hands. All right. A few of you haven't. Good for you. You must not drive cars. Anyhow, <laughs> most of us have had a traffic violation. I still remember my first ticket. I was so embarrassed. I went through a red uh, stop sign. I was so embarrassed. Oh, man, what's my dad going to say? I've had a few other tickets in my life, and i it's always uncomfortable getting a ticket. But... What would it be like if you had lots of tickets? Maybe you had... You don't ever pay any of your parking tickets. Matter of fact, you didn't even plug the parking meter. You just parked the car, put a ticket on it, it'll add it to the pile, and you didn't pay any of your tickets. Maybe some of you do that. I don't know. Not a good idea. And, and maybe uh, maybe you had lots of parking tickets. You got lots of speeding tickets. You've had, you know, you, you rear-ended somebody. You got a ticket for that. And, you, and you've been uh, going through red lights. You got tickets for that. Matter of fact, you got so many tickets that ICBC phones you up. They say, Hello, Mr. Coop. Yes. They said, uh, we are no longer going to insure you. What do you mean you're no longer going to insure me? Because you have such a long list of traffic violations. You have such a long list of accidents. We can no longer insure you. So yeah, but I need my driver's license. No, no, we cannot insure you. you. You have such a list of violations. We cannot insure you. And you're really sad. But then one day you get a call from the president of ICBC. Now, trust me, ICBC would never do this. So a little disclaimer, anyhow. But you get a call from the ICBC. And the president says, Mr. Coop, could we see you, please? I think we have a plan. We can work out a solution for your problem. And so you go into his office, a very nice office. And you sit down. He says, here is your list of violations. You have a list of mile long. And your name right on the top, those are all your violations. Did you do all these? And you go, oh, yeah, yeah I guess I did. I did all those violations. He said, but we have a solution for you. We have found somebody that is in our insurance policy group here, and guess what? They have zero violations. They have never had a parking ticket. They've never had a speeding ticket. They have zero violations. They are a perfect driver, and so we've come up with a plan. We're going to take your name off of your list of violations, and we're going to put your name on theirs. Perfect record. And theirs, with that perfect record, we're going to put their name on your list of violations. We're going to change places. At that point, you go, wait a minute. That's crazy. That, that would not be right. But that's what Jesus did for you. In Colossians, it says, your violations were nailed to the cross. He took every one of your violations. Corinthians here goes on to say, he who knew no sin became sin your name was put onto his spotless record and his name was put onto your messy record of violations. And justice had to be paid. Couldn't just pretend it didn't happen. So he paid the price for your penalties. Very expensive. It was his death. He overcame death, rose again, and said, I have paid it. I've conquered it. And I'm going to extend to everyone, through my sacrifice, this freedom. Hebrews tells us that we've been made perfect, perfect through his sacrifice. And when he sees us, he sees us through his son, Jesus. This is hard to understand. He sees us with no violations. That's grace.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.